Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, I think it's your show. I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, you know, it's about getting you to retirement. It's about looking at the news and trying to use some sort of filter. I watched the State of the Union address last night, kind of because I have to. Um, patriotic and all, sure, on many levels, but it's tied to my work, for sure. Um, nothing really to jump up and down about. A lot of the same old, same old politicking. It's actually, to me, it's almost humorous to watch. Uh, how many, like, anytime he would say something, the president would say something very democratic, all the Democrats would stand up and roar and the Republicans had to sit on their hands looking disgusted and unhappy. I mean, it is kind of funny to watch. Oh, I don't know. Is it always that ridiculous? It, it could have been, could it? But maybe. Anyhow, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, let's see. Top stories of the day. I guess I could go in that direction, huh? Um, dollar's rise is starting to squeeze some U.S. firms. A couple things that, you know, we should just be conscious of. You know, a strong dollar environment, a weaker dollar environment, low interest rate environment, high interest rate environment, somewhere in between for both of them. The S&P 500 returned to its flat line. While the euro has raised its brief dip that followed headlines indicating the ECB plans to deploy a purchasing program in the amount of 50 billion euros per month. Um, so European markets pressured today on that news. We got a little earnings yesterday after the close. Netflix and United Health Group, uh, they delivered some reassuring results. IBM topped expectations, yet it reported another quarter of declining revenue, down basically 12% year over year and seemed to shoot itself in the foot with disappointing 2015 guidance. Um, so the ECB back to Europe, ECB member, European Central Bank member, Ewald Nowatny, has been quoted as saying that the ECB meeting will be interesting, but that investors shouldn't get overexcited about it. Hmm. I don't know. You're not excited about bond purchasing programs? Ooh. You look really good in that low-cut dress. Is the same kind of thing as ECB banking president saying, don't get overexcited. What are you talking about? You're crazy. Of course we're going to get excited by that. And then going even further, let's jump to Japan. Bank of Japan left its policy rate unchanged at its meeting today. Ooh, very, very sexy. I know. Someone's going to use that, and they're going to get a divorce, and they're going to blame me and... Send me the bill for Travis Kropelko. Do not, when your wife comes out tonight and something sheer and sexy, do not go, ooh. It won't work. It only works for me, and I've patented it, so in no way, shape, or form should you use my patent without asking for a rebroadcast permission. So, yeah, you got this Bank of Japan, Bank of England, basically holding rates the same. Blah, blah, tele-blah. 
China's Shanghai Composite is making the U.S. volatility look like a kiddie ride. On Monday, the, their market was down 7.7%, something like 34% in three months. It's like, it's ridiculous. Um, and then it gets a 1.8% pop, and then it's up 4.7%. So China's trying to limit speculation in their markets, and they're having a difficult time doing it. A number of explanations surfaced optimism over yesterday's economic data. You know, China, I love to hate these guys. You know, clearly they're lying about their economy. But it is still a pretty darn big, strong economy. Like, uh, it's kind of like the, you know, the guy at the Muscle Beach who's like, you know, 998, 999, 1,000 push-ups. He'd be probably just into 1,000 push-ups. But he's got a pretty good body. So he could do at least three, the way I'm counting them. I'm impressed with that. I always do my push-ups like girls' push-ups. I don't know why. I just always found that to be more my style. Remember when I promised to really last? I lied. That's right. So Schwarzenegger's new movie, Terminator, like 1000, is coming out soon. It looks pretty good. They're kind of rebooting it in a fun manner. Um, housing starts rose 4.4% to a seasonally adjusted annualized rate of 1.08 million, powered by a 7.2% jump in single-family starts. That's particularly encouraging news. Building permits dipped, though. Boo! Um, that's future activity. And when I say future activity, like today when you leave your apartment or when you leave your house and you see some guy waiting at 7 o'clock or if you go to 7-Eleven like at 6 o'clock and there's like, Eight construction guys. Those guys are future. Those guys are building permits. You know they need those permits to grow so that they have jobs six months from now. So if you were to go to the future six months, you would see them at 7-Eleven. That's what I'm trying to get at. But then Schwarzenegger would come through and like try to hunt one of them down to kill him, so that back in time six months ago the building permits never actually existed. The Iceman cometh. The Iceman cometh. Iceman not cometh to Tahoe a lot this year. That big storm that the Bay Area got kind of missed Tahoe. Kind of sad, kind of tragic. Um, just throwing that out there. So, anyway. Um, 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 let's see, what do we got? It hit Donner. So, it was tough to get to Tahoe, but it actually hit Tahoe. So, the SP 500 up, fractions. The Dow down, fractions. The NASDAQ up, fractions. We're talking about very small moves. Netflix had a pretty darn good quarter. That's worth probably mentioning. Um, and their stock moved higher on that news. So they seem to be doing quite nicely, all things considered. Um, are they a tech company? Are they a media company? Is that what tech companies kind of are now? Because... Companies like um, Facebook are all about eyeballs, and TV used to be all about eyeballs. And Anyway, uh, we'll talk a little bit about this as the show goes on. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on there. There's an app called Invisible Boyfriend, and it lets you pretend that you're in a serious relationship. So it'll send you text messages that you could like read in front of your girlfriends, and it'll make fake phone calls to you as if, you know, leaving you voicemails. It makes the relationship look like a relationship. And it's probably going to get fundraising of like $500 million and a valuation of $10 billion. It's 25 bucks. It's still in beta. But uh, you get 10 texts no charge from new boyfriend. Um, invisible boyfriend. That's what some of our tech companies are solving today as far as problems go. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more.
So this is Bleacher, or something close to that. And what's interesting about it is, the guy's got a very unique look, and you're like, I've seen him before, I've seen him before. And he also plays guitar in the band, fun. Can you imagine having that kind of skill, that not only do you strike it lightning, hit lightning once with one band, but you can kind of go out and do your own side project, and it hits lightning as well. You know, getting a song on the radio is kind of striking lightning, so to speak. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Money, investing, and or more. Netflix faster than expected rollout overseas caught some analysts by surprise, and they are raising their price target. So, um, 18% higher than uh, shares of the video streaming service. Strong quarterly results, um, up 18% today. Uh, that's a blowout. And it shows you, like, the same thing can happen next week with Apple. Um, how big was the iPhone 6 rollout? We'll find out next week. Uh, 800-516-1220. Walmart launching a cash pickup option for tax refunds. I don't know how I feel about this. I really don't. Like, I'm not one of those people who's like, they're an evil company, but... Hey, come pick up your tax refund here at Walmart. It's the discounter's latest move to offer more financial services, which is seen as a path to bringing more shoppers to their store. World's largest retailer says the process will take the same time as if customers were to file their returns electronically and get the direct deposit, which could take just a week. Uh, service could help people without bank accounts get their refunds more quickly and avoid high check cashing fees. Can you imagine not having a checking account? I know, I know. You're saying, Rob, you live in a world of privilege. You don't understand other people. I don't. Like, I can't even fathom the idea of not having a checking account. I don't use checks anymore, but I can't fathom the idea. Like, I do get paid automatically directly by minimum wage job. Chicks love the minimum wage. Hey, you work in radio. Awesome. People know. How much do you make? Minimum wage. Yeah. That's right. I'm very important. 800-516-1220. I drink scotch in my belly, belly, belly. Mm. I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is scotch, scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm-mm-mm. For some reason, that makes me happy. I guess it was just that it was such a ridiculously silly movie. I think we need a, more of that in our life. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. Chad, i got a couple of emails for you. All right, let's do it. What do you think about just investing in the total stock market? Annual return is 12% average over the last 20 years. I think that, uh, well, you and I talk about this all the time. I mean, one of the great things that you can do if you're first starting out as an investor and you want to go open up your Roth IRA, you're young, you're you're not going to panic out when you have stock market corrections, total stock market indexes, but you're only getting U.S. if you do that, and that's an issue, in my opinion. So I would try to go um, maybe 70% total stock market U.S., 15% emerging markets, 15% in international developed if you're going to start accumulating. And the greatest way to do this, in the past, to be able to do a monthly dollar cost average, all that means is a monthly contribution. Sometimes you're buying high, sometimes you're buying low, right? That's what dollar cost averaging means. Mm-hmm. Is uh, You used to be have to go to no-load fund companies like Vanguard to do that. Now, if you want to have everything in one place, you can open up a Roth IRA if you're eligible or a regular taxable account at TD Ameritrade, Schwab, whatever it may be, and you can buy... Uh, ETFs, exchange-traded funds. Right. And if you look on their no-transaction-fee ETF lists, which they all have now, there's about 100 or more, you can find total stock market index options in the U.S. and international. So what I tend to tell people is for your first, you know, up to hundred dollars to $200,000 is, yeah, go ahead and accumulate index funds. Once you become more wealthy, you you need you need some... Wealth management means you know you're also worried about the downside. 
And uh, so more active management in the areas of small cap, emerging markets, international, I think is important. But when you're younger, timing the market doesn't matter. Apps that time the market, uh, it's software that time the market, people that look at charts and think they can time the market. Yeah, they sound cool on radio, but it's accumulation that's key. It's not timing the market. I agree. You mentioned that the total stock market, you said it's uh, too U.S. centric and that you need the emerging markets and other. Mm-hmm. Um, but doesn't the total stock market have things like Nike in it that are national, international? Yeah, and that's that, that's the interesting thing. You know, I recently went to a a uh, kind of not a, a I want to say yeah, the conference. That's what I'm looking for on international investing. Easy for you to say. Yeah, and and so what as we evolve in international investing, which international investing has always been important. In fact, um, you know, it, it ha- you go through cycles when the U.S. outperforms, but rarely is the U.S. the best market. Rarely, even when the market is really good in the U.S., rarely it is the best place. Is it the best place to be? Um, but isn't that because we're more efficient as a market? Well, we're more mature. So in emerging markets, that means you're emerging. So you could have five or six really bad stories, and you know, four or five really really good stories. So it's much more volatile, and you have currency issues to deal with as well. But as the world is becoming kind of more tied to one overall GDP in the world. Yeah, you have the S&P 500, over half the revenues come from overseas. So international investing will become more of a where is the revenue coming from play, uh, especially with with the U.S., all these U.S. companies doing this tax inversion. Like you look at Medtronic, they're buying Covidian so that they could, you know, be incorporated in Ireland um, to get rid of the U.S. tax system. So it's still a matter of, okay, now that company is going to be considered an international company. I don't think so. It's really a U.S.-based company. So where are the revenues coming from? But you don't have to get too concerned with that when you're younger. Stock market will treat you well over 10, 15 years, very well. So Ron's question wasn't bad. No. Uh, he just needed a little bit more flavor or a little more diversification. Yep. And that's something that you also, you talked just a second ago about accumulation, but you also talk on a regular basis about um, equity diversification, asset allocation. What do those mean real briefly to you? Well, equity diversification is, is sectors. So you don't want to end up with a whole bunch of stocks if you're doing individual stocks or ETFs that are all basically in the same realm of the economy, whether it's technology, uh, transportation, oil and gas, whatever. You want a little bit of everything because just when you think an area is out of favor, that's when it tends to do really well. Um, Sector allocation, sectors tend to be the best place to be two or three years in a row, and then they're one of the worst places to be. Sectors rotate in terms of what's in favor and what's out of favor. Same with asset classes. You have large cap, small cap, mid cap, international. And on the international side, you have developed emerging markets and now frontier markets, very different areas. What are frontier markets? Sounds Um, like the Wild West. Yeah, I mean, you can get places like Africa. uh, Well, Qatar, which is spelled, looks like Quaidar when you spell it right, right. Um, uh, some, some of the places in the Middle East were just graduated up out of the frontier markets into emerging markets. So it's, it's different ways to just slice the pie. And you like pie, right? I do like pie. That's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. IBM is giving Warren Buffett another kind of multiple $100 million loss kind of day. I know you're saying, oh, poor billionaire. Uh, He had a couple of billion-dollar loser days in October. The last time earnings was coming around. Uh, IBM is down 3.6%, basically with a pretty meh kind of forecast, and they're just they're having revenue issues. They missed the cloud pretty aggressively, and they're trying to catch up to their competition. IBM cost him about a billion dollars in earnings back in October, and then the following day, Coca-Cola reported some numbers that cost him another billion dollars in net worth. I <laughs> know you're saying, "Ah, poor dude." 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. The President Barack Obama last night in a State of the Union address is trying to get companies to repatriate profits hiding offshore and away from the prying eyes of the IRS. The President called on Congress to close tax loopholes and to use the savings to fund spending on infrastructure such as ports, bridges, rail, and fast Internet. The President's call for corporate tax reform did not include specifics. 
but a wholesale tax reform is unlikely this Congress. I don't think uh, almost nothing last night is going to get deployed and, and implemented. A lot of mention of cybersecurity and protecting our citizens' rights. Uh, while the Democratic president of Republican Congress continues to be a recipe for good luck, um, what hope is there? Um, I don't know. Corporate tax reform, unless there's a minimum tax on foreign earnings of around 10%, would give legislatures on both sides of the aisle a reason to reach across. So foreign earnings set a minimum at 10%. A lot of people could live with that in exchange for getting the minimum down to 10% you would get to net out whatever you pay in that jurisdiction. If that, as soon as you pay in that year, you can then earn it. Um, repatriating all of Apple's money overseas, <sighs> Congress would have a lot of money to play with. They should restructure the aisle, but will they? Question mark, question mark, question mark. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at robblack.com. Well, I'm in New York with champagne and disco. Take some MLA slash San Francisco. But actually, Oakland and Alameda. You girls in Berkeley with a communist reader. Mom was in tune with a boombox and walkman. I was a horrible girl that was back then. It's love, some love, the wisdom teeth are out. What you on about? I feel it in my bones. I feel it. I'm Rob Black. Talking about money, investing, and more. Hmm. Russian stories are, are, there's a lot of them these days, right? Russian ministers presented President Vladimir Putin with 1.3 trillion ruble, $21 billion, to do an anti-crisis plan. Uh, Russia's economy is sliding towards recession, hurt by a collapse in global oil prices, Western sanctions over the Ukraine crisis, and a failure to address the country's long-term dependence on commodity exports. Plan's still not final, but again, that's going to keep them going for a while. Um, and Russia's been striking deals with countries that they typically haven't struck deals with before, countries like Turkey. Um, you're talking with Iran. China loves this because, you know, the United States wants to give Russia the cold shoulder, but China wants to piss us off and kind of like be nice to us and be nice to them and go along their merry way. Um, the ruble hit a string of all-time lows against the dollar and euro in December, threatening a lot of financial stability. That's going to be a big story as the year goes on. You know, we've got a couple of them. The stronger dollar, I talked to you a little bit earlier in the show, and I said, you know, that's changing corporate earnings. It's making them t- tougher to achieve foreign success in foreign lands. You know, for years we were questioning, do we want a strong dollar policy? Do we not? Uh, when things are weak and you're looking for any growth you can get, you don't want it, strong dollar. But now you and I can go to Europe and live like kings, where before our dollar didn't take us very far. Um... 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Amazon has discontinued a line of premium diapers that launched less than two months ago because of very lukewarm customer feedback. The diapers were one of the first products sold through Amazon Elements, the company's new initiative to provide customers with premium environmentally friendly baby and household goods. Diapers were only available to members of Amazon's $99 Prime service, and they're no longer sold on the website. Um, If you're going to design a product, one product that you have to design really correctly is diapers. Uh, As a guy who will wear a diaper to a concert so I don't have to go to the bathroom, you don't want leakage, you don't want slippage, you want a good firm-fitting diaper. Um... Especially, you know, if you're a baby, I mean, babies, I talk to babies all the time, and babies tell me, like, hey, 
I've got I've got diarrhea and like if this thing's loose, it's gonna be a problem. Um so anyway. Uh, Amazon trying to, but failing to get the, a very unique service out there. I know you're, you're. I know what you're saying. Do you really talk to babies? I do. I love babies. Um, I've got a neighbor. Uh, I, I go over to her house just to hold her baby on occasion, and she loves it because you know her husband's out of town or working and. I'm there hanging it out, hanging out, and I'm like, hey, can I hold your baby? So, I know you're saying, where's this going? Nowhere. Like this whole show, where is it going? Nowhere. Um, the whole Davos thing, I, I can't get into this. The annual meeting at the World Economic Forum in Davos, where you know billionaires go and journalists go to watch billionaires hang out. I'll say this: if I was a hot chick, that's where I'd go to find my husband. Because uh, billionaires are there. Don't don't talk to the journalists. Because journalists not billionaires. Uh, but there's a swag bag going around for people who you know get into uh, this kind of thing, and uh, it's just not my thing. You know, World Economic Forum's just not my thing. But I get it. Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls on the air. It's eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls on the air. Taking a look, uh, markets have felt a little like a roller coaster this year so far. I see a lot of analysts are expecting that for the year. Um, crude oil on the rise today. Woo! Bank of England minutes show two previous dissenters joined the majority, arguing for continuation of lower rates. So, the UK bankers aren't doing much, and that's kind of sexy. The European markets are pressured after the ECB members Nawatmi cautions not to be overexcited for tomorrow's policy meetings. Uh, he's lying. He's bluffing. Uh, we're going to see some rate cuts come out of the ECB. We're going to see some uh, bond buying. Uh, it's going to be to the tune of 50 billion euros in bond buys monthly, and that'll cause European markets to move higher tomorrow. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Hmm... So, piecing together one more thought on, you know, the strong dollar kind of emerged, I'm not going to say out of nowhere, but it emerged in large part when the ECB uh, kind of admitted that they were going to have to start buying bonds. So money started flowing back into our treasuries and sending their yields, you know, lower. Um, 10-year treasury now sits at 1.79%. That's crazy. Uh, but it also sent the dollar higher as more... Uh, people want our dollars. Um, so we thought rates were going to go higher. We never, didn't really count on the dollar. This is starting to come up with some recipes. Again, when rates do go higher, maybe 2015, maybe 2016. It'll change the market. And it'll change how you value companies like IBM and big international blue chip type of companies that get a lot of revenue from overseas. You're going to want to be very careful with I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. 
irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. So, I work in television. I'm kind of a big deal and people know me. In order to work in television, you kind of have to stay relatively in shape. You don't have to be in great shape, just stay relatively in shape. Now, when you work in television, one thing that you learn is it's all about the lighting. The lighting really, really helps. Like, having been married to a Playboy model for less than a year, um, I could tell you that it's re- lighting is really key and important to capturing good photos and good images. So, one of the things you have to do when you have such bright lights is you have to wear makeup. So, you wear something, you know, if your skin is... Let's call your skin 1 through 10. It's a 3 on the white scale. So you have to wear makeup like a, like a, a 1. So you have to like really darken your skin to kind of like get it pushed up to like a 5, kind of like to even things out. Like, for instance, I wear MAC 35. Um, if you take a look at MAC 35, it's pretty brown. And I'm pretty pasty white. So yesterday I put my makeup on. I do my TV spot. Um, go to the gym, and there's this beautiful woman at the gym. She's just stunning. I like working out next to her and, like, copying what she's doing because she's got almost a perfect body. I'm like, if you copy what someone who has a perfect body does at the gym, maybe it'll kind of – maybe they know what they're doing kind of thing. She probably doesn't drink alcohol. She probably eats, like, you know, three pieces of of bean a day. Like, it's probably disgusting what she does outside, but stunningly beautiful woman, right? And she stared at me yesterday. I'm like, finally, after you know, after months and months and months of working out next to her, she's gonna she's gonna say something to me, like you know, hey, you come here a lot, or it's gonna start the conversation train rolling. Chugga 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 chugga, choo choo, it's coming. And she goes with the most disgusting look on her face. She goes, are you wearing makeup? And I'm like, um, yeah, I forgot to take it off, and I didn't know what else to say because I get really nervous talking to a beautiful woman. I should have said, I'm in TV. I forgot to take it off. I did a big hit this morning talking about world finance. My moment, I failed. Not perfect. Let's bring in CFP, Chad Burton. Joining me now, certified financial planner Chad Burton to talk all things financial. One of the things I want to talk about is a vacation home. I think it's an ideal that I personally want to have, a vacation home in Tahoe, but before I get there, I, I, I forget, I'm going to have to put a TV in it. Am I going to put renters in it? Will the renters take good care of it so that when I go, it's still in good shape? What do you think about some uh, vacation home ideas? I think now's a good time to look at doing it. Okay. I mean, you've got a big drop in real estate prices, so the people that are typically doing it are those that are a little bit wealthier, probably on track for retirement, you hope. Um, you really got to determine how much you're going to use it. So I find a lot of people go buy a vacation home and they haven't been really vacationing that much. Right. So they buy it and they're not using it that much. Um, and we could kind of fall in love when we go to Costa Rica and we go, oh, this is beautiful. And, yeah. you know, the people of the cabbies are pushing vacation homes there and you're in love and you're romantic and you make a bad decision because Costa Rica sucks. <laughs> um, and it takes you a couple minutes outside that country to realize it sucks. But when you're there, you're in the moment. Yeah, and you get you know, buying in the moment's always bad. That's when people, most people buy timeshares, right? When yep. It's in the moment. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you get free tequila. <laughs> That's kind of where I was going at with that. And sitting through those timeshares, I hear people go, "Yeah, I do two or three of those free vacations a year," and you have to sit through timeshares and that timeshare pitch, and you know, just don't bring your checkbook. I'd rather die than sit through a pitch like that. Yeah, you know, and then people that look at buying vacation homes in Tahoe and stuff like that, a lot of them are Bay Area people, and they've got large mortgages already. Right. And if you buy a second home, there's a limit, you know, right around 1.1 million of how much mortgage debt you can have to be able to write it off. Um, now, you could get a second home and use it as a rental property and write it off as a Schedule C or on your Schedule E, rather. Um, and, you know, if it creates a loss, potentially write that off. 
but most people in the Bay Area that can afford a uh, vacation home are making over $150,000 a year, right? Right. Which, at that point, you start losing the ability to take losses right. uh, from your Schedule E. It gets suspended until you sell a property. So a lot of people get into the idea of a second home thinking, I'm going to rent it out, I'm going to create some income, and I'll have a tax deduction. Sure. And it might not be. So before you do it, make sure it fits in your overall financial plan because it's, it's it might not be the best use of money. But also run it through um, projections. Right. Go say, pretend that you are going to have the rental property for a full year. Look at the last year's tax return and tell your CPA to run it as if you had the property. And you can see what the overall effect is on your tax brackets. I'm sure CPAs love doing made-up scenarios. Hey, <laughs> like if that. you have a CPA that doesn't love doing that, yeah. then get a new one. Okay. okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that's really important to, to have because most CPAs end up with too many clients and, and they're too busy to run the what-if scenarios. But yeah. it's so important, especially if... Real estate issues, stock options, estate planning issues. To have a CPA that's more than willing to meet with you and charge you, you know, a couple hundred bucks an hour to do those those mock uh, returns. Another scenario that we should talk about when buying a vacation home that you may rent, you may not, you know, may retire in, is a lot of times things change. Like for instance, I'd love a Tahoe vacation home to retire into, but I'm imagining that I'll be able to shovel snow in 20, 30 years, and I may not. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, be careful what you, your lifestyle may change. Uh, you may no longer like living in the desert or a vacation in the desert. Uh, when you're old, you're, you know, you can cook in that kind of stuff and, and be left to die and vultures will circle around you and eat your eyeballs out. So <laughs> you may not really like that home 10, 20 years from now. That's yep. what I'm getting at. Yeah. So d- definitely until you've traveled many places, don't buy, don't buy that vacation home. Um, home away but, from home. You know, I know a lot of people that still ski in their 70s and 80s that are really, really you happy. You do not. I do. You do not. I have several clients. Being in, from, you know, having clients across California all the way up to the Northwest, um, some clients, you know, spend the spring and summer in the Northwest, and then they'll go to Colorado for six months a year. Yeah. So. Different conversation for a different day. You're listening to me, Rob Black, and that's CFP Chad Burton. You can find Certified Financial Planner Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Shake Shack is going to IPO later this week. Should you buy it? Maybe. Um, if you can sink your teeth into it. Um, one of the problems with IPOs is that there's a lot of copycat going on. So what's that mean? When like a cybersecurity company comes public and does well, Wall Street's like, well, let's go find some more cybersecurity companies. When a restaurant company comes out and does well, Wall Street's like, let's go find some more of these guys. Social media, you can kind of see that there's like trends that happen in, in investing, um, in IPOs in particular. Shake Shack is going to come out somewhere between 14 and $16. First trade will probably be about $28. And it'll probably have a good first three months. I'm not telling you to go out and buy it. I'm not going to. I don't play that game. There once was a clown, Homie the Clown, from In Living Color. Probably one of the greatest clowns of all time. Uh, And he would say, Homie, don't play that game. Like the little kid would say, Homie, 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 make me a balloon animal. And he'd slap the kid with like a whatever he had, not a whip, but something. And he'd go, homie, don't play that game. Maybe it was a dead chicken. Not a dead chicken, but a rubber chicken. God, slapping a kid with a dead chicken would be really like bad. But I kind of like the idea. So, yeah, you know, uh, fast casual foods that are considered fresher, uh, like Habit restaurants, uh, Chipotle, they've done very, very well in the publicly traded market. Revenue growth is amazing, so I expect it to do quite well on its IPO. That's Shake Shack, come this week. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more.
I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Netflix is having a rock and a roll kind of day. After a couple months of looking at, like, hey, Time Warner's going to come out with a subscription service for HBO. That's going to kill Netflix. Mm, not so much. Netflix had a monstrously good quarter and a strong rollout as well internationally. Um, Toyota remains the top winner in global vehicle sales. They beat Volkswagen and GM, taking the industry crown. But they were a little less upbeat about this year. Why? Because citizens of Japan are expected to have weaker uh, purchases this year. 800-516-1220. Let's talk a little real estate. Joining me now to talk a little real estate, Tony Mendez with BayAreaLoanSource.com. Early in 2015, Fed Chairman Charles Evans talked about what he wants to see before he starts raising interest rates as the Federal Reserve votes as a committee. Basically, he said, wage inflation. The unemployment rate fell in early 2015 to pretty good levels. But ultimately, what we're looking at is what's going to cause the Federal Reserve to move, and it's wage inflation. So that's something that we have to look forward to. Based on this, Charles Evans said, I'm not going to raise interest rates. I'm not going to vote to raise interest rates until I see it, probably 2016. Wow. Any thoughts on the ramifications that that'll play off in your world? Because it gives not certainty. But it's certainly um, pretty well lit what the expectations are. Well, he's one of ten that's that are going to vote eventually, and more and more though are joining his views on keeping interest rates low for a longer period of time, uh, while the others continue to, to be patient as they have changed their terminology now to patience uh, on when to raise the interest rates for uh, based on core inflation. Uh, you know, he, his fear is that the Fed. Um, thinks the pr- that prices need to move quickly, but he is saying that prices are not moving fast enough higher, and and uh, ultimately leading towards that inflation that's which is the trigger. And he he thinks the low interest rates need to spur that 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 inflation a little bit quicker than it's doing right now, uh, and rising those interest rates will will stop that. So it's interesting because it keeps the cost of borrowing low in the mortgage industry, which obviously they have mm-hmm. to banks have to borrow large sums of money. But it also keeps the cost of borrowing low in the corporate America. So this is just another, you know, potential feather in the hat of the bull market that can kind of keep it dragging along. Yeah, I think it, it's really more about trying to get the inflation numbers up as opposed to keeping mortgage rates down because we already have low mortgage rates. Right. We, we've already freed up tons and billions and billions of dollars for consumers to spend money elsewhere other than in their house. Uh, we just had, uh, you know, in 2015 talks about changing FHA mortgage premiums to free up more money for, for people to buy homes. So there are some programs that are leading towards pe- to help people get into houses in addition to having low interest rates. This is more about trying to get inflation up to a normal 2% level and how long it's going to take. I think what this ultimately will help is people that are that have loans that are tied to the prime rate, which are the, the, the rates where they're really talking about, and you know people taking money out of their house like equity lines and then also tied to arm rates, which are the indexes. So there's a guy who looks like a human. um, I'm not going to use that analogy. Um, There's a guy named Matt Dredge. He looks like a human pimple. With that said, it's out there. He came out and made some commentary about where he expects interest rates to go. And why are we listening to Matt Dredge on interest rates? That's something that kind of freaks me out. I met him 15 years ago when he was just starting the Dredge Report, maybe 20 years ago, and he is not. He's not pretty on the eyes. It looks like he fell out of the ugly tree and hit every branch on the way down. Um, not a good-looking dude. Not even a nice guy. Just a bit of a jerk. A little bit of a blowhard. Anyway, um, he said something. To, uh, he tweeted to Matt Janet Yellen. He goes, dastardly Yellen, we know you can't raise interest rates ever. Payments on debt would balloon and consume everything. Uh, it's still a low cost of money, but there is a point to be made that... One of the nice benefits of having a tough economy is our government's borrowing money or printing money and paying back interest rates at a very low level. Um, I don't see how our government would be able to maintain a 5, 6, 7, 8% debt load. Um, I don't see how many people, people in the Bay Area, if, if mortgage rates go back up to 6, 7, 8%, no one's going to be able to afford a home. No one. Um, so we got that to look forward to in the next 20, 30 years. That the affordability index would, would just collapse, and the value of homes would collapse as well. I don't think that our interest rates are going to be determined by whether or not you can sell or buy a house. 
Right. I, I just don't think that's going to happen. People but, have always know. bought homes based yeah. on the, the necessity of buying a house, unless you're a professional investor. Uh, and, of course, low interest rates help. You know, the, 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 the bottom line, it helps you qualify for a little bit more. But, uh, you know, the decision for somebody to sell a house isn't going to be based on what's going to happen down the future, down the road. It, it's, they're not going to say, oh, interest rates are high in 2017 and 18. I should sell my house now while somebody can buy it. Although that's probably the mentality that people should start thinking about, is that who's going to be able to buy my house down the road when interest rates do rise? So it... it it, it may mean that's one, that the reasons, well, that's one of the reasons why you want to buy in a good school district because keep keep a reason why people want to buy in your neighborhood. Well, yeah, right now everything looks great. Down the road, when interest rates go up, only few areas are fewer areas are going to look better than than others, and we're going to look like we did back in two thousand eight, two thousand ten. You can find Tony Mendez at BayAreaLoanSource dot com. If you need a loan done, contact him. It's BayAreaLoanSource dot com. And I'm Rob Black talking money investing and more. Excuse me. Um, 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, Shake Shack coming public. You know, again, I've talked a little bit about that. Netflix shares soaring today, up 18%. The rollout in overseas markets have kind of surprised some analysts who scrambled to raise the price targets on the stock target. On the to- stock um Morgan Stanley or JP Morgan has a $511 target on it. The stock closed yesterday at 350. So the company is skillfully navigating the transition between slowing subscriber growth in the profitable U.S. segment and international expansion. Housing starts rose 4.4% in December. That sounds like a great number, but it's not. Starts look good, but the increase is not sustainable and fundamental problem for home builders is the pool of new buyers able to qualify for a mortgage is rising much less quickly than payrolls, if at all, and inventory is a bit too high. Super Bowl advertisers are starting to come out and make some noise finally. Typically, the weeks before the Super Bowl, they roll out the commercials because if you're going to pay $4 million for a commercial, you might as well get as many plays for it before the Super Bowl as you can, especially through social media and have people take a look at your stuff and potentially vote and things like that, right? Some other stories of note out there, United Healthcare, a uh, stock I own, uh, 52-week high, all-time high. Health Insurer, a uh, big winner, winner, chicken dinner from what happens with Obamacare. Just, you know, more people sign up for plans. Um, and again, health insurers aren't stupid. The amount of insurance you have to pay, the deductible you have to hit, the co-insurance... The only way you seem to win in this case, even with Obamacare, is if you have, like, a heart attack. And then are you really winning? I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. I know what you're trying to say, baby. You're trying to say, oh, yeah, it's business time. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Let's bring in Dr. Jeff Rosen from Briefing.com, Chief Market, or not Chief Market, I've done that a couple times, I'm Chief Economist. How are you, Mr. Rosen? Good, how about yourself? I'm okay. It's one of those days, I feel like I'm just pushing a little too hard and things aren't quite working out, but that's not your worries. Um, The economy, housing starts today. I saw an interesting quote by uh, Ian Shepherdson. He's been an economist that gets quoted a lot. Um, do you follow him at all? A little bit. Okay. Is he good? Is he bad? What, what's your thoughts on him? Should I ignore him or pay attention? Uh, it's indifferent. I listen to just about everybody, so I wouldn't discount okay. him for any reason. I wouldn't, you know, give him any, you know, overtly credit for anything either. He, he's fine. Okay. He was talking about housing starts, and I found one of the things interesting that he said is uh, the starts just aren't sustainable, and you have to dig a little deeper, and you have to look at permits. And uh, What's your opinion on the, the housing numbers that came out today, and what should we learn from it? 
Well, if you look at the numbers today, I think they were good, uh, specifically because the entire gain was the result of single-family construction, and single-family construction is normally a stable uh, trend. So the fact that you had a, an increase in single-family starts today generally suggests you're going to have a, you know, another increase tomorrow. And as we head into 2015, that's a good thing. And we've been seeing over the last you know, several months, really since the beginning of the summer, uh, the NHAB, or NAHB, excuse me, uh, Home Builders Index has improved significantly, but we haven't seen any growth in construction. So basically, home builders are saying everything is getting better, everything is strengthening, but we haven't seen them you know, basically, you know, put their words into action. We've had very little construction growth in 2014 compared to 2013. So uh, this may be a signal that the home builders themselves are finally going to start producing based on what they were saying. And if that's true, uh, you know, 2015 looks a lot stronger than 2014 did. Housing. How important is it, in your opinion, that we follow that data? If we're going to follow the stock market and talk about retirement issues, is it is it relevant? I don't know how much it's. The... I don't. I I don't know how much of it's relevant for the stock market per se. Just because you know any gains that we have are still, you know, the contribution to GDP is so much smaller because the, the sector itself has shrunk by so much that. You know, strong growth isn't necessarily going to impact the U.S.-wide economy as much as it did in 2003, 2004, 2005. Uh, it will be, you know, a, a net positive, though, so it is something that we still want to happen. It's not something that, you know, as an economist, you're like, oh, housing, you know, it, it's just something there. It, no, it, it's a meaningful sector. It, it's impactful. It's just not as impactful as it was in the past. So uh, on the stock market, if you look at it in that respect, you know, if you own home builder stocks, it's probably important. But uh, beyond that, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a, uh, uh, a momentum changer. Okay. Any other data out there today or anything that you want to chime in on? Maybe Davis and the Economic Summit. I don't kind of playing softball with you here. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything anything spectacular going on in Davos except the fact that it costs more for people to go out there now than it did last week uh, after the Swiss decided to uh, let their their currency float. So, you know, I think what we're seeing is that, you know, the global economy in general, especially uh, in Europe, is weak. Uh, China grew, but grew at a, at a much slower pace than they have in the past several years. Uh, Japan is still looking ugly, really the only source of you know, what looks to be significant gains is coming from the U.S. And after that last employment report and the respective retail sales numbers, you know, it could be argued that the, uh, the trends in the U.S. maybe are a little bit more pessimistic than, uh, than the headline suggests. But overall, you know, if we're going to be anywhere, the U.S. economy is the best place to be. So uh, if you're looking at investing and whatnot, you know, Take that you know information as a uh, as a helpful hint. When you're looking into <clears throat> GDP numbers of various countries, it's recently been suggested by one billionaire fighting with another billionaire. One billionaire said to the other, "Well, China's probably only growing at five percent, even though they say seven and a half percent." And the other billionaire goes, "But that's still a really big number." How do you approach something like a China where you're not really I guess there's a lack of trust, but also it is an important economy. Um, it's not to be taken lightly that there they don't give good information. There is a lack of trust in the headline numbers. And when, and when you're looking at China specifically, there, there's definitely a lack of trust in the headline numbers, which is why you have a lot of you know, odd statistics that people use, like electricity usage, lighting, you know. <laughs> it's kind of uh, something that you wouldn't normally use in a developed country as a measure of uh, economic growth, but it's something that you can use in China. The other way people do it is they take uh, country statistics that they trust, namely from developed countries, and look at their import-export numbers directly to China and see what uh, the Chinese are actually selling and actually buying. And you get a better idea of how you know things are. But 
you know, the idea that, that China at 5% growth is bad, it's bad for them in a social aspect. It's not bad for the world. I mean, I would still take 5% growth, you know, over 3% growth. You know, I would prefer 8%, but, you know, whatever it is, it is. The fact that it's positive is still positive, and, and I think that's what you got to look at. Sounds good. Last time we left off with you, you were looking at some of the car numbers, and you said you were doing more research on automobiles. Today, Toyota comes out, and, you know, they sell the most cars in the world. But they did say something, you know, we're going to have a little bit of a disappointment in 2015 because fewer Japanese will buy cars. Um, any thoughts on the, the work you're doing with the autos of the world? I'm spending most of my time on the U.S. sector, so okay. you know the fact that Toyota is going to sell less Japanese isn't going to be uh, too much of a concern to me right now. But Toyota, if you've looked at um, the consensus forecasts about what's going on, they're at the at the low end. They only expect 16.7 uh, million vehicles sold in uh, 2015, and if you look at the consensus median, it's right around 17 million. So it's a pretty big difference. Uh, the top end, a lot of banks are expecting, uh, you know, 17.2, 17.3 even. So if you look at that, they're, they're much more pessimistic. And then you had a report, uh, I want to say last week, it could, it could have been even just a few days ago, though, uh, from Honda saying that a lot of the auto loans that are being put out right now are 84 months. And it's not possible to pay down the car fast enough before the car uh, typically gets sold. So you're going to have a hard time selling cars because uh, people are going to be underwater in these loans, and they're not going to be able to get out of it unless the the new buyer of that vehicle is willing to eat up uh, their loss, and that may not be feasible, especially for some auto manufacturers that are still struggling with uh, with profit. So, you know gains that we saw in 2013 and 2014 may rear up and you know actually hurt the auto industry significantly in 2016 and 2017 so you may have a uh, you know some shock coming in that's interesting that you bring that up because the show that I do Dr. Rosen is really about the average person getting to retirement and one of the biggest mistakes you could buy is a depreciating asset but on top of that, a depreciating asset that you, you know, fund now for seven years, it's, it's pretty shocking. Um, your opinion on individuals doing, hurting themselves financially, do you see that in the economic data that you look at? Does, I, this is a very odd well, and abstract question. For the financial crisis. No, okay. I mean, no, it's it's a when you get over indebted in an asset that's depreciating and you still owe money on that asset, you have two choices. You can either continue to take the loss and pay it off or you default. And what we saw in the great recession is the mass default on home loans and the repercussions of mass defaults on home loans. You know, the fact that you could have a mass default on car loans, well, it's unlikely given the size of the of the industry and the impact that it could have, but it's still significant enough that it could cause problems, especially in the car sector. You know, and if you're going to be if you're if you're willing to take out an 84 month out loan on a car that you only wanted to hold for 72 months, you know what does that mean for that last year? You know, it's probably not a good thing. And you know the fact that the depreciation. Uh, moves faster than the car value. You know, it, it makes things a lot worse. It makes things very difficult to sell a car when you owe, you know, twenty grand on it and the car's only worth fifteen. Thanks very much. Anything else that you want to add in, Dr. Jeff? We've got about a minute. Now, tomorrow we get more initial claims numbers. I think we're going to start okay. seeing an uptick in claims. I think it's going to start to see the. Uh, the impact of low oil prices on uh, the energy sector. I think we're going to finally start seeing, you know, job loss in that sector, and I think it's going to filter into claims. So it wouldn't be surprising tomorrow if we see another uptick. You know, you know, I think the consensus is right around 300,000, but if we get, you know, even at 330 from 316 last week, it wouldn't be too much of a shocker to me. Thanks very much. As always, class act, good insights, goes with the flow. Um, the abstract question. I'm gonna have to play that one back on myself because uh, he kind of he kind of gave me a duh. 
it, it does get frustrating, I will say this from my perspective, of seeing people financially hurt themselves. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. You can find Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist, at briefing.com. It's briefing.com. companies that freak people out, Netflix and Amazon, because for whatever reason, Amazon's not making a lot of money. And the reason is, back in the late 1990s, Amazon.com said, you know what, if you want to invest in our stock, we're not going to make a lot of money. We're going to invest in growing out our brand for many, many years. Netflix did Amazon a favor yesterday. They basically, same thing with Netflix. Reed Hastings runs the company, and it's kind of a glorified cable channel. It's a network on some levels. Produces TV shows, produces movies. Um, Netflix says they want to get into coming out with 12 movies a year or something like that. Um, Amazon does kind of a similar thing with the whole streaming service. Where am I going with this? You're saying, if you take a look at PE on Amazon, it freaks you out. It's got a PE of next year's 380. And one of the ways you value companies is on how much money they're going to earn or what their price-to-sales ratio is. You know how he told you that um, Shake Shack's coming public, and they've got about $75 million in revenue, which isn't a lot. Um, they've got $100 million in revenue. Not a lot. And they're probably going to pull in probably a $300 million valuation. So you start doing the math, and you're going to like, price-to-sales ratio, price-to-sales ratio. Now you, now you start figuring it out. It's going to have about a billion-dollar market cap if it prices 14 to 16 shares. Uh, it shares at 14 to $16, and um, you know it doubles on its first day. It would have an implied, you know, it wants to start around $500 million, but it ends up at a billion-dollar market cap. And you look at $75 million to $100 million in revenue, and you go, okay, one billion for that's a price sales ratio of ten. So then you take a look at it like McDonald's. Now Shake Shack sells their average ticket is about eleven dollars. That's not too shabby for fast food. It's a little bit higher than Chipotle's average ticket, where the customer average spends about uh, ten dollars and seventeen cents. So that's a good metric to take a look at because you start comparing Shake Shack to Chipotle on price to sales ratios. You can, in theory, compare it to McDonald's, but is that fair? McDonald's is a large, bloated company, kind of like me, large and bloated. Um, so you look at a price-to-sales ratio, and you're now starting to think, you know, $1 billion valuation, you know, $100 million in revenue, but it's growing its revenue at 40%. And, you know, you see Chipotle at five times sales, not ten times. But Chipotle's growing at much less than 40% growth rate at this point in time. So Wall Street's really all about comparing values of two stocks. And it could be a price-to-sales ratio, a price-to-earnings ratio. It could be a debt-to-equity. Um, it could be cash flow that you like. Uh, there's all sorts of things. So IBM's having a bad day. So you had a bad day. Down 5 bucks, down 3%, 3.5%. But really, the story on IBM is, you know, the last couple of years that it's had, uh, it's a bit of a dog on the Dow. It's on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. The markets would be up much higher if it weren't for this dog. Uh, at one point in time, it was $220 stock just a couple of years ago. Now it's 151 Now, here's the beauty of the chart on it. Take a look at the IBM chart. And it's forming what's called a double bottom, right around 151 I'm not telling you it's a double bottom. I'm not saying it's not going to break through it. But you like double bottoms. Double bottoms, um, not, no, not like, don't think Kim Kardashian. Double bottoms think 
stock goes down to 150. It goes from 170 down to 150. And then it gets a little bit of life and goes back up to 160. But then it goes back down to 150. And then what's going to happen? Now has that quote-unquote double bottom in set up. What it tells you in the past is that it got that low and people stepped up and bought it. Doesn't mean that that's going to happen. But that's what it's kind of telling you. Um, IDM trades at eight times next year's earnings. But their revenues, they're beating on earnings, but their revenues are just stinking it up. Um, so Big Blue is blue. And he's here to stay with you. And no matter what you do. Um, I've decided I want to get an Australian accent and date a woman named Sheila so I can go, Sheila! Sheila! Um, just so you know. So anyway, IBM, tech giant, provided a disappointing outlook for the 2015 after having fell for the 11th straight quarter. Oh, boy. Now, on the other hand, United Healthcare. Their stock is doing well. Largest U.S. health insurer reported earnings and revenue that topped expectations. Revenue rose more than 7%. Benefit from higher premiums and saw strong sales across all divisions. Qualcomm took a hit after Samsung said it will not use the company's Snapdragon 810 chip in its next version of the Galaxy S smartphone because it's overheating during testing. Qualcomm hurt on this one because Samsung is about 12% of its sales. You know, I look at Samsung phones, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. This is one of the reasons I own Apple. It's kind of ghetto to own a Samsung phone. Like, you you know, remember that comedian? You might be running one car up on jacks. Jeff Foxworthy. You might be able to, like, say, you might be kind of ghetto. Or <laughs> you may have had a rap sheet if you own a Samsung phone. I'm not quite sure where it's going, but work with me on this one. Samsung just feels, you know, guy has a daughter and daughter brings him a guy with a Samsung phone. You're going to, as a dad, hate him. Bring him an Apple phone, you're going to be like, that's a good young man. Good young man. Strapping man. Please take my daughter. She's got good birthing hips. I don't even know what good birthing hips are, but supposedly teeth and birthing hips uh, was something you looked for 100, 200 years ago. Microsoft is in the spotlight. It's going to unveil its latest operating system, Windows 10, today. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at robblack.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision.